We'll get into the show in a moment, but first, I've got Jamar Valentine on the line. He is the taproom general manager at Noda Brewing in Charlotte, North Carolina. And today, we're talking about Arrived, which is a sponsor of the program. Jamar tells us about some of the challenges Noda was having that Arrived helped solve. Well, certainly in the taproom before Arrived, uh, the data was so challenging. Uh, the tracking the data was one of the big ones, you know, and anyone that has worked in management of any sort from built all over understands the idea that you can't manage what you can't measure. Uh, and without quick access to a lot of data, uh, you know, we were certainly held behind. It certainly slowed us down a bit, not just uh, how the data was tracked, but even how the data was presented. Um, being able to have access to digitally make adjustments very quickly without even being present in the tap room. I could be out in the lake somewhere and then make an adjustment as necessitated or uh, even pull up checks uh, and send a guest a copy of a receipt uh, before hopping on an airplane if need be. Uh, so, you know, the convenience factor has certainly increased the ability to pull up data uh, long term, short term. It's been fantastic. We're excited to have arrived as a sponsor of the Beer Edge podcast, and Jamar Valentine of Noda Brewing will be back with us at the bottom of the program. But in the interim, I'd invite folks to check out Arrive's website at Arrive.com for more information on how it can help your business. That's Arrived with a Y, A-R-R-Y-V-E-D.com. The best brewmasters are obsessed with creating a high-quality, consistent product. That means reducing mash viscosity for better wort separation, and increasing brew house efficiency. Ultraflow Max from Novazymes helps you achieve both. It's time to brew with enzymes. Increase your brew house efficiency and achieve faster filtration today with Ultraflow Max. Order a free sample today at www.brewingwithenzymes.com/beeredge. I'm Andy Crouch, and thanks for listening to the Beer Edge Podcast. Before we get to this week's great conversation with Brendan Waters of Ballast Point Brewing, this is where I give you the pitch to help support us here at Beer Edge. John Hall and I work hard to produce interesting podcasts and other content for you, our dear listeners. And this is where you can give us a little hand. We've got some cool merch for sale at BeerEdge.com. You can go and buy a t-shirt or a mug and help support independent journalism. And if you're itching for more beer content... Check out John's podcast, Drink Beer, Think Beer, with new episodes every Wednesday. It's a good listen for you on your commute or just if you need to take a break. We're on the socials at The Beer Edge. And if you want to be on the show, you want to sponsor the show, or if you know the perfect guest, please drop me a line. My email is andy at beeredge.com, and my DMs are open everywhere at Beerscribe. Perhaps it's because we've been trapped in our houses and then our cities and counties and states for far too long. But my mind has been on San Diego a lot lately. In recent episodes, we've had some great guests from the area, and today is no exception. About two years ago, a small earthquake shook the craft beer world. Ballast Point, whose sale only a few years earlier for a billion dollars to Constellation, had gobsmacked everyone from the taproom on Main Street to Wall Street boardrooms, and it had unexpectedly been sold again this time to a tiny little brewery outside of Chicago that absolutely no one had heard of. The story seemed crazy, and I certainly thought the whole situation was a bit nuts. But as it turns out, the new owners weren't crazy, just smart, experienced business people with a vision for the future. At first glance, Brendan Waters seems to be quite a character. With his Australian accent, wide-brimmed outback hat, and mile-wide smile, Brendan appears on the surface an unlikely person to purchase a brewery once valued at a cool billion dollars. But the aphorism about books and covers should be kept in mind. Because behind the camp is a successful, credentialed businessman with the right timing and connections to get this deal done. Brendan has recommitted the company to the local San Diego market. And Ballast Point is building back the loyalty and respect of San Diegans piece by piece. And by most accounts, this improbable story appears on the way to a happier ending. Local beer writers are impressed with how Brendan and his team have operated Ballast Point 
and with their future plans. Two years on, the Ballast Point story continues to evolve, and Brendan is at the center of it. And he's not done yet. While he plays a little bit coy about future prospects, Brendan and his team appear ready to continue purchasing craft breweries in the years to come. In this episode, Brendan and I discuss his background in business and why he and his partner Chris Bradley started Kings and Convicts in their putative retirements, how the Ballast Point sale came to be, and how he and his partners have worked to regain the trust of Ballast Point's employees and consumers. Here is my conversation with Brendan Waters of Ballast Point and Kings and Convicts. What drew you to uh, Chicago? So I started, so, so number one, I, I, I love Chicago. Um, I'm a big sports fan. And so I started a hotel company back in 2003. And I started in uh, Seattle where we were living. And um, the problem as beautiful as Seattle is, every time you have to travel anywhere, you're on a bloody plane for two hours. Yeah. So I wanted, to, and I knew that I'd be on a plane a lot. So I picked Chicago to start the company. So moved to Chicago and then um, just stayed there, brought the kids up there. And um, we live up in Lake Forest. Mm-hmm. So just up, up north there, north of Glenview. But um, uh, Chicago, I'm, I'm a Cubs fan. I, I'm now very much a Padres fan as well. <laughs> <laughs> you got you to gotta say that. That's part of the, part of the gig. Yeah. I, I, so I genuinely like the Padres. I mean, I go to a lot of games and uh, it, they're good. They're, they're a fun team. And mm-hmm. I, um, I love the city of San Diego. So I'd love for them to, to do well. I mean, it's, it's been like pulling teeth the last uh, two weeks here. Like, you know, stick a needle in my eye. But, uh, but they're, they're, yeah, they'll, they'll come good. They're going to be fine. But, yeah. uh, but Chicago, I just love the sports in Chicago. I love the city. It's just a great spot. Um, great place to, for kids to grow up. And it's just gets to a point sometime where, you know, those winners, <laughs> those winners get to you. It's funny. San Diego, you could plonk San Diego down in Australia and you could feel right at home, the beaches, mm-hmm. you know, all the, all the you know, eucalyptus trees and just that laid back life. It could be anywhere on the East Coast in Australia, I reckon. Well, you know, we'll obviously get into Ballast Point and, and Kings and Convicts and your history, but, you know, what is it about San Diego that sort of is a draw to you? What do you, you know, and, and, and a little bit more, just what, it, what about its beer scene do you sort of love? So we had, even before we had um, uh, acquired Ballast Point, uh, my wife and I were looking to, to move West Coast or, or establish a presence out here because we've both got family back in Australia. And it's a pain in the ass to fly from Chicago yeah. you know, back to Australia, whereas it's easier. You just drive up and jump into LA and zip down 14 hours overnight. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's an easy It's, 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 easy a, it's a zip. Yeah. yeah, it's a zip. But, but San Diego has got a feel. It's very much more laid back than, you know, LA is just a lot busier. You go Northern California and it doesn't quite feel that Southern California you know, lifestyle. And I just love San Diego from the start, well before Ballast Point. Then after we started Kings and Convicts and we started looking all around the country and we'd gone and, and looked at a whole bunch of different um, major breweries and smaller ones as well, we kept coming back to San Diego. A, because we liked hanging out here, we liked the scene, but the the, the beer scene here was just different. It's, um, you know, they... It, to, to a brewery, you'd go to these little ones that um, that had been spawned from either Ballast Point Brewers or, or Stone Brewers, and they've gone gone out, and you could just feel that they knew what they were doing, even if they were small. So it was uh, it was a really cool scene. Um, they were very welcoming. You had that um, that San Diego attitude, and uh, we just we got to, there's a lot of different beer styles and. You know, from from the the modern times, the epics, the societies, the pizza ports, all the way through Alesmith, and I can keep going. It just was wow. This this place is just different, mm-hmm. and it had been around longer than let's say the Chicago beer scene, yeah. where Chicago had their their roots, but you know they'd never really blown up like it has today. San Diego sort of got there earlier, mm-hmm. and a lot of those good brewers sort of came out of the, the bigger the bigger places like Ballast Point. So it, it really was a and it was a it was a really and still is a really great scene. 
Yeah, Chicago is kind of an odd duck in in the United States for for craft beer because you know it is obviously one of the largest cities in the country, but it until even 10 years ago, it was an incredibly underdeveloped scene. I mean, you look at a place like Half Acre, which I think has been open maybe a decade or so, and it's considered kind of the the grandfather of, you know, besides besides Goose, the grandfather of, of beer in Chicago, whereas a place like San Diego, you know, there may be 160 odd breweries in Chicago now, but, uh, you know, going back, you know, five years or seven years, that was not the case compared to San Diego. 100 percent. You know, when, when we when we started Kings and Convicts, we were looking, you know, in that um, in Lake County, mm-hmm. and really there, there weren't that many weren't that many breweries up there. Now yeah. it's just sort of spawned, and then you go further down into Cook County, right down, and you've got some fantastic places mm-hmm. that have come about. But hell, when we started, they weren't all there, and so yeah. it was. It, it's it really. It, you're right. It was an oddity, but you could you could wander around here in San Diego and go all around, you know, Miramar. And you get yourself 15 breweries that have right. been around for 10 years. Yeah, it's it's an incredible, incredible scene. And um, but let's take a quick step back. How did you end up in the States from Australia originally? Yeah, um, my wife and I, she was my wife at the time. She's my girlfriend. I met her at college and we put a backpack on and traveled for two years. So just uh, spent 20 bucks a day and traveled the world um, together and uh, and so went around Russia, China, Eastern Europe, Western Europe, South America, and came through the US. And she had been through the US that I never had. Came through the US as one of the last stops because we were running out of bloody money. Had to go back to Australia <laughs> and find a job. And I went, I like this place. This is bloody good. And we'd, we'd started in, in California, gone to a lot of the national parks, you know, Kings Canyon, up in Sequoia, all the way down through Death Valley, Joshua. And all the way through um, Flagstaff, Arizona, and I just went, man, this is bloody cool. We met this crazy Irish woman that we we're traveling with, and she told us about a green card lottery. So I put my name in it. And when we finally got back to Australia, we spent a little bit of time in Bolivia and Argentina, and I finally got back to Australia. There was a letter from the US government saying, you have won a green card in the green card lottery. So I went back to my company that had sort of held my job. They're an American company, held my job for two years. And I said, I've got a bloody green card. I'm off again. And so I had to go and tell my um, my in-laws that uh, our two-year jaunt was going to be extended for another two years. So uh, my then-girlfriend, we uh, we got married. She got a green card based on that. And we said, we're coming across to you know, check out the US. You know, that was 1998. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, four kids later and uh, and uh, doing what we're doing now, it's... Um, yeah, it, all, all the greatest plans, you know, go go to go to crap, don't they? But, it, uh, <laughs> but that's that's how I, I got here. And then, so after after the travels and you settled into work, you know, what line of work did you end up in? What what did you end up doing before you ended up in in the beer space? So I I was um, I've got a finance background. I'm a CPA, and uh, and then went to work for a company called Accenture and um, did one of their startup ventures with, um, with Microsoft out in Seattle. And that's how I got to Seattle. Had a great time there, met an individual that, um, that has become a close friend and mentor. And he has been on my board of directors and is on my board right now. Um, and uh, he, he was in the hotel industry for the longest time. Um, offered me a job to come and uh, head up corporate development uh, for a company called Le Meridian based in Europe, in, in London. And so I can only be outside of the United States for two years at a time um, on a green card. So I jumped up then after September 11th. I did my interview on 9-11-2001 with him in New York City. And, um, and he uh, offered me a job to come and help this uh, hotel company that had been recently taken private called Le Meridian which is now owned by Marriott, which before was owned by Starwood, which before was independent when I was there. And so I I jumped into that um, simply because I knew that I would learn about an industry outside of finance and consulting. So I jumped in and uh, I couldn't have learned any more. For the next two years, uh, um, a company uh, that was going through you know, the worst financial crisis based on 9-11 because of all of the European-based hotels, I got to stick my nose into franchising, to marketing, 
to, to operations, to finance, to, to the asset management. And so I was very fortunate and they looked after me. And, um, and so after that period of time, I came back to the United States on the very last day that I could, flew back in and, um, and I used the money that I'd uh, earned there to, um, to start my own company. And so uh, the, the gentleman that has been my friend and mentor through this whole period of time, um, jumped onto my board of directors and guided me through starting my own hotel franchise company. And so I started that and I did that up until 2014 when I sold that company to a public company because my wife said, you're fishing too much, you're playing golf, you've lost your focus, 10 years of doing something, it's time to do something different. And she was right. And so I, I sold that company to a, a public company um, and and then I started brewing beer again. <laughs> and so I brewed beer with a bunch of college buddies back in Australia, in Sydney, um, like extract brewing, like the Cooper's extract brewing. We did it in the kitchen, stunk the joint up. Our fermentation was how, yeah, we, we didn't manage any of the temperatures during fermentation. The beer tasted like crap, but, but you know what? It was beer that we brewed. And so, so I got back into that. The world had changed especially given that the US had gone through this, this you know, brewing revolution and craft beer and home brewing was much more sophisticated where you could do all grain. So I started getting back into that. And then I jumped in, um, Chris, who was my partner, um, he's the king of kings and convicts. He had, he had uh, stopped, uh, sold out of his company. He said, well, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to go back and brew some beer. I think I'm just going to set up a little home brew area in Highwood so that we can watch the Bears and Cubs and uh, the Blackhawks play. We can brew a couple of the TVs up and it'll be just for us and our buddies. And he goes, oh, shit, um, I'll, I'll do that with you. I don't know much about this, but he's a biochemist. And so he went back to Siebel and he became the brewer. And so he knows considerably more than, than I do now. I know enough to wreck things. But, um, but uh, I, I jumped in with him and we started Kings and Convicts. And that was 2015. And what was the plan with Kings and Convicts? Because this, you know, obviously there's a lot of breweries opening up at that time or smaller tap room operations and nano operations, a couple hundred barrels at a time, which is sounds like what Kings and Convicts was initially sort of intended or that's how it began. It, it was, and it was never our intention to go and, and do like he had another um, life of business that he was going to go back into. He was exploring other opportunities. I was going to go back in the hotel industry. I was just going to take some time off. Started getting into this, and like like everything in craft beer, you go, it's pretty bloody interesting. And so he and I started, you know, we, we started brewing. We opened a little tap room, and we go, okay, let's start to understand this industry more. And so the more he and I got into it, we traveled a lot. We got to meet a lot of different breweries from in, all throughout the Midwest. Interestingly, Half Acre, who is, it's one of my favorite, favorite um, breweries in the country. And uh, before we even pulled the trigger on starting uh, Kings and Convicts, I've got a buddy that, um, that is one of the owners of, of Half Acre and Half Acre opened the doors and gave us some tremendous information. And, uh, and so we were able to go down there when they were moved to Balmoral their, their mm -hmm. main one down in Balmoral and spend a lot of time with them. And they just go, we, we just loved it. And so they connected us with other breweries um, like Pipeworks um, and then a bunch of them throughout the Midwest and the West Coast. And so we started getting into it. And once you start to dig further into this, you go, well, this is, it's a really odd, odd industry because it's so old yet not. Yeah. And, and circumstances, you know, changed it after prohibition and then coming back um, and, and with the, the, the change in the law and with the change in consumer tastes um, and, the, and the opportunity to acquire these small systems and brew locally, it just, it, it fascinated us. And so we started just looking more and more into it. And then, you know, six months goes by, 12 months go by, and I go, yeah, what? Right. I think I'm going to go back into the hotel industry at the moment. And Chris said, I think I'm going back into what I'm doing either. Let's just keep sniffing around and seeing what, um, what this place looks like. We had identified back in 2016 when we started up, we said, you know, there's, a, there's going to come a time where there's going to be a lot of shakeup. 
things can't keep going like this. And wherever there's an industry that is going through rapid growth, you're going to have a change, like a change in, in how things are brewed, in um, how, how the beer is distributed, um, and then also changing tastes. And whenever that happens, there's opportunity. So we started really looking at all these different breweries and we got to know a lot of them pretty well. And we decided that we were going to stay in this and we pulled the trigger on building. A, we looked, man, we looked all over Lake County and we had looked at downtown Chicago and we said, you know what, we'd already seen what was happening downtown with that proliferation. We said, let's not, let's not go there. You know, Highwood, it was too small for us. It wasn't great access from the interstate. Um, it was, you know, you've got your, your train line up there, but really it is, um, it's stuck between Highland Park and Lake Forest. We said, you know, we need to find somewhere different where we can do a tap room. Mm -hmm. And the tap room, a proper tap room that has a pure brewing experience, not dissimilar to Miramar Ballast Point, and another one at Surly Brewing that we had been up to see as well. So we'd gone through and we wanted to tell the history of beer. We wanted to tell the history of kings and convicts. And so we identified a space just north of the border in Pleasant Prairie. And so we started going down that path and we'd, um, we had all the architectural designs and bought a lot of the equipment for a 50,000 50, square foot brewery up there um, that was just across the border where we could, between Milwaukee and Chicago, it's, you see it from the, the interstate, it's got great access and it's got event space and you see that immersive or you're involved in that immersive brewing process, mm -hmm. but with good, good Midwestern food and good bloody beer. And that was always the, the, the idea. And we, as, as all this went on, I, um, I, you know, I, I know a bunch of friends at, um, at Constellation uh, that I'd played golf with and drunk beers with before, well before I was even in the brewing industry. And um, because when we're doing our development and looking at what we were going to build in Pleasant Prairie, we kept coming back to Ballast Point and saying, do you mind if we go and sniff around Ballast Point? Because that Miramar location and that immersive, you know, mm -hmm. brewing experience and what they, how they brew and what they brew is exactly what we want. And so we were able to go out there and, and, and look closer at Ballast Point. So fast forward, you know, opportunity came up. We went, hold a minute, as opposed to doing what we're doing up there, maybe we can go even bigger and acquire Ballast Point. And that's effectively a short story of we got Ballast Point and, um, and you know, consolidated the operations here into San Diego while still, we're still um, brewing in Highwood, but, uh, but you know, the size and scope of the operations out here are, um, are massive. But it's, you know, in the story, obviously, has been very well told about the, you know, kings and convicts buying Ballast Point. But, you know, at, at its beginning, you know, when it hits people like myself, who've been writing about the beer industry for a long time, let alone people in San Diego or Chicago, um, you, know, you see it and you're like, how is, how is this fish just swallowed the whale? And it just it comes off as a and, you know, there you are in the photos with sort of, you know, you know. <laughs> Yeah, Australian accent, you've got the hat and the whole thing. And it just almost, you know, and I mean, no disrespect, but it almost comes off as a little cartoonish at that time. Like this is a, you know, it's a month early for April Fool's Day, but it, it had that feel to it. So what was wow. in, and I know from he hearing other interviews and, and hearing you speak here, you had done an incredible amount of due diligence on this, but what was your response to the initial response of, which I assume had to be almost universally just dumbfounded? Yeah. Every, so I'll, so the answer is yes. And, you know, it doesn't, didn't concern me at all. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, you know, it, of course it would baffle anyone unless they really understood the backstory. Yep. And so it, it's, it, it, I, I get it. And um, I was somewhat amused. I will, yeah, I will say we had, uh, but on the announcement on December 4th, we had a, a PR team out here in, in um, San Diego and we had our offices in the WeWork building uh, just over in La Jolla. And it was Chris and I, uh, we had brought in an HR director, uh, the former Jack in the Box guy that we brought in. We'd done all of our due diligence, a massive amount of due diligence. We'd met 
um, privately with the senior management team of, of Ballast Point so they could know who we were. And they were sitting down going, who the, what is going on? And so, and, and so over a period of, let's say, a month, we got to meet with them and sit down and, and off-site and, and give them an idea of what was going to happen. And, um, and that day, I'll never forget it because uh, our uh, Peyton, who was our head of, head of um, public relations at that point in time, was just sitting in this little office in the WeWork building and she said, get ready. Um, and I said, well, listen, um, we'll do the announcement at noon Pacific time. Uh, we will then go in and um, oh, it was one o'clock because it was closing of the public markets on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I'll do, uh, I, I don't know how much you know interest we're going to get with this this afternoon. Let's go and have a beer just down the road here. And she said, I think you might want to wait. <laughs> and I said, okay. And so within minutes, uh, I walked into a little booth and she would come in and I had 15 minute increments and I did interview after interview until six o'clock Pacific time until I couldn't talk anymore. I bet. And that's when I went, holy crap. And then, then, you know, the, that, that whole back to your, you know, who the hell are these people? What's going on? Um, I sort of realized, okay, maybe I underestimated just how big of an impact this would have and I don't think it would have had as much of an impact if that big billion-dollar thing yep. wasn't on there. If it, if it wasn't that, we would not have got that level of recognition and it wouldn't have sort of broken the internet or broken ours anyway. Yeah. No, I think that's entirely true. And I think the, the billion-dollar sale price obviously caught, you know, caught the attention of not just people who have been in craft beer for a long time, but the markets, any, you know, people who are not even following you know, you know, consumer product goods or, or that number is so huge. And, you know, it can be debated, obviously, as to whether or not that was a, a bad deal from the beginning or what have you. But to see somebody come in who maybe folks even in Highland Park or in that area around Highwood who never even heard of Kings and Convicts suddenly, you know, coming out of coming out of the woodwork and buying, you know, one of the largest you know, or most expensive brands in, in craft beer history. There, there are around about 5000 people that live in Highwood, the little town that we are in. There is a large percentage of them that have never heard of Kings and Convicts yeah. at that point. So it's 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 nuts. I think they I think they probably heard of it, you know, right, you know, after that December, that December day. So oh we had yeah, it, we, don't worry, we had people just coming in from everywhere. So what was it about Ballast Point? I mean, this is a brand that had been doing more than 400,000 barrels of beer at its peak. Uh, just a massive, massive brewery. Its growth was was insane, and it was a brand that really it was almost singular in it in its in its success. Because I know in, I live in the Boston area, and so we would watch. You know, Boston is traditionally a kind of a dumping ground for beer from around the country. You know, it's a highly educated market. We're always interested in trying new things. So we get a lot of like old pallets of beer dropped here. But Ballast was one of those ones that for a period of time of maybe 18 months to two years, it seemed like Grapefruit Sculpin or Sculpin was on tap at every single bar in the Boston area alongside Harpoon IPA. It was not just... um, a brand that was in a couple of niche beer bars here or there. It was everywhere. And I had to think at that time, what the hell is going on? How is Ballast Point trying to go so deep into a market so far from home? And then only to see it drop by half, basically, over, you know, by the time, you know, it changed hands to you. So what, you know, what was, what, you know, how was Ballast, you know, what sort of way was Ballast Point in by the time, you started meeting with staff. How was morale? What you know? What was the that vantage point? So, I, I'm going to take the romantic element out of here, and I looked at things in a very sort of business oriented way. And when we started looking at this and looking at our location that we were going to build in Wisconsin, we got to know a lot of the senior Ballast Point people, and we went on thing because we were just another brewer from the Midwest that got to know them. And over a course of about 18 months of knowing them, we could see the change in the way that they were. Not so much the change in how local San Diegans viewed Ballast Point. You know, the, 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 the market sort of 
Um, a lot of a lot of places took you know Sculpin off tap the moment that that acquisition occurred, and and Constellation pivoted into the package and just blew it up across the entire network of distributors, and so that's where you got that massive bump from. But coming in here, you could see that the people that stayed with Ballast Point had been with them for a long time, still believed so so um, uh, in, in such a uh, major way about the very essence of what made Ballast Point great, that it was still a Southern California brand, a, C, a C, San Diego native, and that they loved the beer that they brewed and it meant so much to them. And you could see... You could just get the sense. And so over a period of time, we kept coming back and you could see that this was not going to end well. And it had nothing, uh, I've said this on multiple occasions before, the, the, it, what Constellation wanted from it and what Ballast Point could do were just two different things. And, and so to Constellation's credit, they're a big company that makes big bets and they, they don't muck around. And at the time that, that this was moving forward, um, Ballast Point was a very small part of the big constellation engine. Mm -hmm, right. And so whereas Ballast Point had been a, a, a big deal. And so I could see that, listen, if this kept going for another three, four years, it might be a very different story. But you could still see that the essence of what made Ballast Point great, the, the people, the, the love for San Diego and, and that, that essence of West Coast IPAs, still existed, but it needed to be captured and brought back and given a little bit of love. Um, otherwise, it, they'd, they'd get lost. And so both Chris and I had seen it and we'd seen it happening. We'd also seen that um, some of the distribution in the East Coast and even in the Midwest, um, the beer just wasn't around as much anymore. Mm -hmm. and, and quite frankly, there's a, there's a lack of focus. When things don't continue to go like that, um, there becomes a lack of focus and also not understanding how craft beer needs to be sold. And so I peeled back, Chris and I peeled back, we sat together and we go, well, let's just look at what Ballast Point is. Forget about what everyone else sees. So we set up a war room and we dug through the financials and dug through the distribution agreements and looked at what made Ballast Point special. And they had these tap rooms. I mean, yeah, the pandemic changed all that. But yeah, we had these tap rooms that were massive cash generators that were still very profitable. And, and they, they needed to just have a little bit of focus, but they're, they're great marketing tools and they anchor the areas that they're in. You then had the distribution that got a little scattered just all yeah. over the place with products that really probably shouldn't have been sent to where they were. Underlying that, you've got the brand that is Sculpin that is as known or better known than the brand Ballast Point. Yeah. And so you look at that brand and there's still considerable brand equity. And we said that, listen, there is, there is brand equity. There are these tap rooms. There is a lot. And all the people there still love what they're doing. They just need to be brought back and focused. If we can do this, we can bring this back. We can make this thing make money. It won't be the same size and on the same trajectory, but it shouldn't be anyway. As opposed to just throwing stuff all across the country, what you need to do is put it into the markets where we make money. Let's focus on the products that make sense. Let's retract, come back in, get the essence of what it means to be Ballast Point, and then grow again in a very clear and concerted manner but profitably. So we don't have to be the biggest, but let's make bloody money when we do it. And that means doing things differently than what they had experienced through Constellation. So that was the opportunity that we saw. On the back of that, we have this massive bloody facility that has got, you know, we can do a million barrels mm -hmm. out of Mirabar. And that's, you know, we get their underlying, we've got this asset, We've got each of these assets that if you looked at, looked at them, refined at what we're doing, started to focus on the profitable areas, this thing can make money. So what people see from the outside is, oh, my God, balance point is coming back down. You're damn right. We needed it to so we can make money. And so we are more concerned within the company about really coming back. Fortunately, San Diego is still our biggest market. And LA and that Southern California is number two and number three is all of California. If I'm going to pick a state to be 
you know, our number one market, that's the state I'm going to pick it. So, so it, it was just peeling it back and being comfortable that you could look at things in maybe a more analytical role and not romantic that Sculpin's this and Ballast Point is that. It, it, needed, it needed a little bit of a harsh reality. Go to Arrive.com to set up a free, customized demo with an Arrive consultant and see how a point of sale can make all the difference in your guest experience, staff efficiency, and bottom line. Chances are a switch to Arrive will save you time, money, and a whole lot of headaches. Arrive.com. That's Arrived with a Y. A-R-R-Y-V-E-D.com. Arrived is the point of service that works for you. Do you think that it was good that uh, neither you or your partner had a direct beer industry experience? Because I think, you know, when folks like myself and other others in the beer industry looked at it and we said, you know, we've, you know, I've been around long enough that I was here for the shakeout in the mid nineties. I saw lawyers and doctors and accountants and other folks come in as sort of hobbyists and, you know, to, to some bad ends for a lot of places, but you, you know, at least from the outside, it was like, okay, here's a couple of guys coming in somehow managing to get the financing together to, to pay for this built, you know, a fraction of a billion dollar brewery, but then, you know, you don't have beer industry experience. So was that a concern for you? Or do you think that now in sounding in listening to your description here, it sounds like it might've been more of an asset. I honestly believe it was an asset because there's a, there's a couple of things that it's it's still a product, but you have to understand marketing, you have to understand distribution, and you have to you have to be able to run a, a production company. And so we've got enough really good craft brewers in this company; they can brew better beer than Chris and I can do in our you know for a hundred years. And so you have to lean into where the strengths are. But the, the marketing element and that distribution and then that operation of a production brewery was what we brought to the table. And so it was, we knew that the, the product and the liquid was good because it, they never went anywhere. Mm-hmm. And so we, we looked at this from a completely different view. And, and so we, have, we knew that this is something that neither of us could simply invest in and hope it worked. We both needed to be invested and actually be operational yeah. and come back in. Otherwise, otherwise, it's never going to work. Fortunately, every single one of the investors has either invested with me before, been on my board of directors, has known me personally, or wanted to be an investor in one of my other ventures. And so we kept this very tight. It had to be done this way. It couldn't be done with um, outside equity. What I mean by that, private equity that didn't know us. They had to understand that this is the long play. This is building a foundation for a long-term play. And it doesn't change in one year, two year, or even five years. It has to be part of a, a larger play. And it wouldn't have been that case if it wasn't for such a solid brand such as Ballast Point. And it, you know, I think for those of us who have loved Ballast Point for a long time, we're, we're certainly happy to see it go in a, you know, it, we, this was a, a potential breath of fresh air uh, compared to what was happening, you know, during the Constellation years and what they were focusing on. So for you, it's now been almost 18 months or so since you've taken the keys at, at Ballast Point. You know, there have been, you know, the Chicago pub closure, you know, that understandably did not necessarily make a ton of sense compared to what your focus was going to be. But what has happened in that in that 18 months? I think a lot of us heard interviews uh, in read interviews with you at the time were, as you said, dumbfounded, didn't know where things were going to go. What's the status update as to where things are at now 18 months on? I, and obviously didn't know a few days later, a, <laughs> there might be a, a small global hiccup that is maybe caused some problems to part of your business. But where are things at? Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's, um, I'll say this, and it might sound odd, uh, the pandemic, um, who the bloody hell knew on March 2nd, and we closed on March 12. But, um, and, and, and a big you know, 50% of our revenue comes from our tap rooms. And these are big bloody tap rooms that then closed. It's the 
we have taken this time to reevaluate who we are. Uh, we, we, we sat down with a lot of our employees, with people in San Diego, and asked who we want Ballast Point to be. And where we, you know, when we see each other in five years, what, what is the essence of Ballast Point? And we kept coming back. And so we, we were always going to do this. But what the shutdown allowed us to do was fast forward a lot of the rebrand, a lot of establishing who we want Ballast Point to be long term, and then also looking at operationally where some of our major assets are and what we can do differently. And so that's given us a chance to, 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 to fast forward that. So we did the rebrand, we sat down, we know that we wanted Ballast Point, and you know, I don't like to use a lot of words with the employees when we, you know, when we talk about what, what is Ballast Point. We are an approachable, innovative, quality company. Everything we have to do needs to be approachable. We can't have the sharp elbows. We need to be that Southern California link with San Diego that other people feel good about, whether it be the beaches, the outdoor lifestyle, the great craft beer. When people walk into a Ballast Point location, it's, hey, come on in, let me teach you about craft beer. Hey, come on in, let me teach you about San Diego, Southern California. It has to also be that quality element that everything that we do, everything we touch, if it isn't a quality endeavour, then don't bloody do it. And if it isn't something that's a little bit innovative and going off kilter, then really think why we'd be doing it. So we're with those three words we keep coming back to, and everyone knows that if we say no to something, it's because it doesn't, it doesn't go through those filters. And so those three filters for us are very important, and it is not what we came up with. It's what all the employees and the people of San Diego came and told us over massive focus groups over the course of weeks. And so all we did was put a mirror up to them and said, okay, this is who you want Ballast Point to be, and this is what you think Ballast Point is, then we're going to you know, lean into that. And so we wouldn't have been able to do that if it wasn't for the pandemic. So fortunately, we've got good partners, um, and we were well capitalised. We had to suck it up. We're still sucking it up. Who the bloody hell knows where things are going? Yeah. Um, but, but it gave us that opportunity. So coming out of this, we have really refined where we distribute and how we distribute and the products that we are going to, um, to sell. And so we know that we have a, 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 a small group of, you know, the Sculpin family with Victory at Sea, with, you know, with some of our other, um, you know, the Fathoms of the world, the Mantas, that we've got a, a distribution footprint that works for us. But, you know, freight, freight's gone up. Raw materials has gone up. And, you know, employee costs have gone up. Um, a lot of things have gone up, so we have to be more focused and mm -hmm. think about where we, you know, what products we're putting out there. Uh, Ballast Point's still going to be a premium. We're not chasing uh, price. We're going to continue. We use great ingredients. We brew great beer, and that is something that we're going to stick to. And so it's, it's very important for us to ensure that we keep that focus on that quality because that's what made Ballast Point work. Going forward, as we get through this, this pandemic, it's one of the things that we have had to maybe explain or get some of our people over the hump with that, listen, the world's changing. You know, tastes are changing. Beer's always going to be there, and we've got this great basis with, with our Sculpin family. We have other beers that we've never brought to market um, in our, through our R&D facility, and we've got other products that we're looking at as well. And it's getting people over the hump that Ballast Point was a craft brewer. Yes, it is. But Ballast Point was more than just a craft brewer. They, made, they meant something to San Diego. They meant something in terms of that innovation and being, uh, being part of the community. And so when we first came in, one of the things that we said is, we can stand up all day long and say that we're back to San Diego and we're back to Southern California but we actually had to go out and make sure that we did it. And so what we've done during this period of time is we re-upped with the Padres for five years. We're the official craft beer sponsor of the San Diego Padres. We then reinstigated our fishing team. We got the Ballast Point fishing team that's here and up in Long Beach. We also have sponsored the, the rugby union team, the Legion rugby team. So we do their beer for them. We're their sponsor on the jersey. We've got a lot of other small sponsorships that we're doing. We've also got right back into the community, linked up with UCSD and their brewing program. Everything that we're doing has to be about 
putting back that, that community element because that's what Ballast Point was first and foremost. And so you, you can say all the crap you want, but if you don't go and execute that plan long-term, it's all just going to be words. One of the things you noted was to talk about sort of what products to sell and, and, and what the portfolio should look like. And maybe, you know, you could spend a lot of time in business school doing your reports and, and studies to figure out what went wrong with Ballast Point to get it from, you know, almost a halving of the, the size of their production. But one of the things that has to factor in there that I don't think is talked about all that often is the rise of hazy IPA, you know, because IPA was such a massive, IPA was and continues to be the driver of, of a lot of growth in craft beer. It's what most people associate with craft beer. You know, we would never have thought this would have been the case 15 or 20 years ago that bitterness uh, and, and, and beers like that would have become the, the vogue and the, and the vanguard, but they really did. But Ballast Point, if nothing else, Ballast Point was defined as almost the, the quintessential West Coast IPA, you know, style IPA brewery and Sculpin, you know, was that and all of its all of its versions. And it was maybe a little ahead of the time with with grapefruit and, and some of those tropical fruit flavors that really came to dominate in haze. But it and while it does have a hazy beer, you know, and passing haze in the in its portfolio, it's not it's not a haze factory. It's not a haze brewery. How has how you know what is your reaction to hazy IPA and how does that fit into what Ballast Point is doing now and and moving forward because we're starting to see some more talk now of wanting a return uh, pulling back from haze and maybe it's just among beer geeks but I it's those little things that you start to hear people saying I I kind of miss West Coast IPA do you think there's a future there or do you think that you know Ballast has an issue with not as you know, not focusing on haze as much as it should. Definitely, it's a, it's a, it's a really interesting question. And I'll take it even further with the seltzer. You know, where, yeah, where how that that's changed the the, the playing field too. You know, Balance Point's an IPA house. You know, we've got a great you know our Imperial Porter Victory at Sea is just a fantastic beer, and we've got some big double um, Imperial IPAs uh, that aren't hazy. We do have other hazies. We we mm. just never marketed them yep. as hazy. So one of the one of the things that we did, we have a Lohas Goblin, which is a hazy. What we did one change is we put the word hazy on the can yep. and on the tap handle, doubled sales yep. like that. And it's one of those things. Messaging and marketing is so important, and there's little things like that. So we do have some some good hazies. I don't think the haze is going to go away. It's it's going to stay there, but. One of the things that we've kept coming back to was focus on what we do well. We've got some other IPAs and other really good, solid, clearer beers that we're, we're focused on. And it's, it's not what we don't want to do is chase the trends. We keep coming back to know what we do well. We've got the malt forward scope and we've got some others that are not so malt forward, but a good six, six and a half percent, good hop you know, uh, profile. And let's keep doing that. Um, but but I don't think the haze has gone away, but you're right. Ballast Point was never known for their hazies. We do have some other hazies, their big double hazies that are coming out, but they're only going to be for California. We'll see mm-hmm. how it goes. We're, we're not doing the big launch boom um, that was done, let's say, with Fathom and BP Lager and some of the other yep. ones. For us, it needs to be a little bit more organic, and it's got to, it's got to grow from California out if it's going to work. One of the things we always hear about as well is, you know, and have for a decade or more is, you know, lager, lager beer has found its time. Pilsner beer is found its time. It's coming, it's coming. And it's a trend that never, it's like a wave out at sea that never seems to crash on the beach. Uh, but I'm noticing in Ballast's lineup, and, and you're talking here, that there are, you know, lager beers are, it's not just one, you've got a handful of lager beers that are in packaging and distribution. So what do you see as kind of the future of lager beer for, for ballast? Uh, number one, we're going to tell people about it more. Yeah, that's a <laughs> because, good start. Yeah. Cause it is. And, and you know, ensure our distribution works with it, but our long fin lager is a great Hellas beer and we sell a lot of it on tap in the, in the tap rooms. It's one of our best sellers. And then we have um, an even lighter one, that is a hoppy lager that sells extremely well in package format and on golf courses out here. Mm-hmm. 
hot as buggery because it's under 100 calories. It's only 4.2% and it's an easy summertime beer. And so out of our R&B facility, we have a whole cadre of lagers and pilsners. And, and we this is something that people just don't associate Ballast Point with, but they've been brewing them for a long time. Mm-hmm. It's just never been a focus. So we, you know, Chris and I personally like it. That's what we grew up with, you know, lagers in, in Australia and he in England and uh, Hong Kong drank a lot of lagers. So for us personally, we we like that. But, you know, it's not something that we are forcing. Their ballast points just brewed a lot of them. So it's it's going to be part of our portfolio. Um, and then, you know, back to that IPA. And we'll continue with, you know, developing some of the hazies and the bigger ones. we got some really good big double um, Imperial IPAs that we're working on and they've been in the tap rooms, um, but it's just now a case of letting them sort of filter out into the, into the wider community on draft initially, and then seeing where it goes from there. The, you know, in the past year, as I'm sure you've noted, uh, the beer industry has experienced kind of a, a growing reckoning in, in areas involving racism and, and misogyny and the treatment of women and sexism. What is your response to what you've seen in the last year and a half? Um, I'll tell you, it's, uh, it was stunning and it's, it, it should be. And, you know, for, from us, from our standpoint, when, when we acquired uh, Ballast Point, we had already started. Now, again, Constellation had done a great job of putting in place a lot of um, harassment uh, training. And then we had continued that. So that is something that we're, uh, we got zero tolerance for, um, and more importantly, from a diversity standpoint, some of the har- harassment training we had sat down when we first acquired the company and looked at the profile of the entire company, 550 employees, and we said, what can we do to, to look at what we're doing and do better? So don't just sit there and say, we're okay. No, anyone says that, means you're not. You've got to really actively work on this. If you're not actively working on trying to change and be better, then you're you're not doing the right the right thing. And so we we came back. We looked at where we're at. We've focused very carefully on trying to bring more people into the brewing industry, into Ballast Point, that represent the community of beer drinkers, not just the you know, the dudes with beards, um, and try to really start to, to to bring more people up to senior management positions. And, um, and into brewing positions. And so we appointed a, uh, uh, one of the, the ladies that was um, uh, one of our bartenders, we brought her up to, to be that community engagement manager. She came and asked soon after we had acquired the company what our plans were to, to really help Ballast Point grow and represent the community of San Diego and California. And then uh, you know, the, the beer drinkers that drink our beer, how do we make it? more inclusive. And so she challenged us and we sat down and we have made a concerted effort. And so we have raised um, the profile of a number of um, some minorities within the company to take on uh, additional roles. And we have changed the structure of the company to do so. And on the back of that, we also reached out with the UCSD extension to provide two scholarships. We were going with one scholarship to bring diverse people into the brewing industry where they could go to university, go to college at UCSD, learn about the brewing industry, learn how to brew. And then once they're done with that, they both have an internship within Ballast Point to learn about brewing with the overall intent to to continue to grow that brewing community in a much more diverse sort of background and for them to either stay with us and grow or for them to go and, and, and start their own um, brewing uh, companies here in San Diego. And so one of the things that we appreciated with Ballast Point before was that so many of the people that have, that have come through Ballast Point and started great breweries in San Diego, they've got that Ballast Point pedigree. And that's one thing that we want to ensure that we keep, keep doing. Um, what we just want to do more is get Get, get something that's more representative of our entire beer community in into Ballast Point. If there's anything we can do, we're, we're absolutely committed to doing it. And so we, we talk about this. We, um, we, we have training for this. So it's something that you, you can't just assume happens because it won't. You've got to, to, to make things great. You've got to do, you've got to do good things. The, 
we've talked a little bit about the future of Ballast Point here and sort of to finish things out, you know, you had referenced earlier the, I know I'd read a lot about a possible brewery in Wisconsin. I was just curious about, you know, what the status of, of that is, especially with everything going on. But also, you know, there's been discussions, at least initially, about whether or not you guys would seek to do more acquisitions within the industry. What are, you know, what's going on with Wisconsin? What about acquisitions? And what, and just with the last few minutes we have, what are your, what are your future wishes for, for Ballast Point? So, so Wisconsin's on hold at the moment purely because we don't need any more brewing capacity right now. Right. <laughs> but um, uh, we, we've been actively looking at other acquisitions where they make sense and partnerships where they make sense. And we've got several in the, in the works at the moment um, that will potentially diversify what we do uh, in terms of the beverage products that we produce and, uh, and, and also what we will innovate with. They may not be under the Ballast Point brand, but, uh, but we, when you have an asset like we have at Miramar and our R&D facility down in Little Italy, and we have the quality team and the people we have within this company, um, it's incumbent upon us to make sure that we explore all avenues to ensure that the, the long-term success and financial well-being of the company is, is, is in good, good hands. And so we are looking at opportunities all the time, but they have to make sense for us and they have to make sense for the culture of Ballast Point. And, and so for us, uh, long-term and what I hope that, um, that, that where Ballast Point ends up is that we, we continue to execute on the plan uh, to, to engage and become part of the fabric of San Diego and Southern California, that we do everything that we said we're going to do we continue to provide a good working environment for all of our employees um, with opportunities for them to grow. And that only happens with growing a growing company. Uh, that growing company doesn't necessarily mean you have to blow up and ship beer everywhere. This has just got to be a little bit more of a, uh, an open-minded view on how Ballast Point grows. But knowing that Ballast Point in our minds is not just a beer company, um, it's, it, it opens up different avenues for where we can look at expanding and um and as long as we do it in a good healthy way for our for our um our community our customers and our employees i think we'll go we'll be in good shape and just a I, I would be remiss if I didn't follow up on that because it's interesting to hear that Ballas is, is content or you're contemplating some acquisitions. Would that be within the craft beer space? Would that be, and I know you can't speak to, you know, probably specific deals in any works, but you know, would it be craft brewers? Would it be RTD cocktails, seltzer, CBD? Are there particular areas that you think are a good fit for, for your operation? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> I look forward to seeing. Uh, well, Brendan, thank you for very much for taking the time to talk to us. We're certainly interested to see you know what goes on with Ballast Point moving forward, and certainly with you know any of these possible acquisitions. Certainly, keep us in mind to to talk further about it. But this has been a, a very interesting conversation. I've certainly learned a lot more uh, than I knew about what's going on there, and I look forward, hopefully, sometime soon, to be able to get out there and get back into into Ballast Point's tap rooms. Good stuff, mate. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Beer Edge podcast. My partner, John Hall, and I work hard to bring you fresh and insightful content related to the ever-changing world of craft beer. We're passionate about beer and independent journalism. If you're interested in supporting Beer Edge, visit our website, beeredge.com, which is updated regularly with new content, interviews, and articles. Please also consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your episodes. You can also subscribe to the Beer Edge newsletter on our website. Is there anyone you think that we should be talking to? Please drop us a line at andy at beeredge.com with your thoughts. Thanks for your support. We're back with Jamar Valentine of Noda Brewing, who is talking with us about how Arrived has helped his brewery. You know, I've used a number of POS systems over the last decade and a half, and a number of them offer many great features that Arrived does. Uh, but from the ability to operate in different locations uh, very quickly, from the ability to track data and adjust quickly, uh, and their fast response times, 
that doesn't even speak to the level of care and personal connection that everyone in the Arrive company seems to approach their work. Uh, the individuals with whom I've interacted have truly shown that they cared about finding great solutions to any problems, uh, whether they're short-term, long-term, small picture, or big picture. You know, with Arrived having the capabilities for me to quickly see information from the very first day that we switched over to Arrived to today and to see trends, again, continuing to push uh, the solutions. When you envision the ideal experience for your brewery guests, your focus is on superb service and delicious beer. Point of sale is just the transactional formality to their visit. What you need is a point of service. Arrived is the only mobile, flexible, customizable point of service system designed specifically for craft breweries. It adapts and grows with you on-premise and online. Your staff will love the simplicity, your managers will love the world-class support team, and your guests will love the seamless ordering experience and probably order more beer because of it. Save time, money, and headaches with Arrived. The best brewmasters are obsessed with creating a high-quality, consistent product. That means reducing mash viscosity for better wort separation and increasing brewhouse efficiency. Ultraflow Max from Novazymes helps you achieve both. It's time to brew with enzymes. Increase your brewhouse efficiency and achieve faster filtration today with Ultraflow Max. Order a free sample today at www.brewingwithenzymes.com slash beeredge.